So the new meta, episode six, here with Stefan Jensen from Picnic. Mm-hmm. So Stefan, what is Picnic? And you know, could give us a quick overview of that and then we'll get into your life story. Awesome, yeah, thanks for having me on today. Nick and Ricky, um, good to be here. Yeah, Picnic, yeah, Picnic is a um, content production agency. We help food and agriculture brands tell their story using custom content. Perfect. So that's like a, that's very wide. Mm-hmm. So you know, right now, what are you specializing in within we, that? Yeah, area? we specialize in video production. Um, so any, everything from your Instagram stories to TV commercials, mm-hmm. um, and then we also offer uh, photography. Um, so it's a recipe video, stop motion, right. um, or uh, on location. Yeah, and you have a commercial kitchen that you can leverage in order to you know put, use those things and put those things together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have a studio space. We have a kitchen space, food prep space. Uh, walk-in fridge so we are uh, ready to uh, cook something up excellent so let, let's loop around now to your life story you know go as back as far as back as you want on this one perfect and as it relates to marketing or anything 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 that's shaped you yeah like what what are the things that have shaped you along the way that make you think the way that you do today you know uh, like a on being an entrepreneur but be also for marketing mm-hmm um, I've, I love, I've loved telling stories since I was a little kid, um, for, uh, for birthday parties, I'd throw a play or a musical with my friends instead of yeah. going <laughs> go-karting or I don't know what, what normal kids do. Um, so I, yeah, I've always loved telling stories and that, kind of, I've also had the privilege of living overseas. I was born in Malaysia, I've spent a couple of years in Germany, so I think studying and living abroad definitely gives you a... a a, a flavor for the world and mm-hmm. um and so yeah so storytelling i also love food i just love eating food um who doesn't <laughs> <laughs> but um as i started working in marketing communications um really why well, I grew up on the prairies in Alberta, right. and my best friend had a farm, and I grew up playing on the farm and, and farmers, and kind of the idea of where our food comes from was a very normal part of life. Right. Um, we lived right at the edge of town and watched the harvest cycle every single year, and yeah. we're always interested in which crops are being grown, mm-hmm. the rotation of crops, and that was just a, a, a natural part of my life. Right. And so when I fast forward 20 years working in the agency world, when I got to work with food clients, um, that really excited me, uh, getting to know the farmers that grow our food, working right. with them, and then eventually that inspired me to go into culinary school and, and, and to, to really specialize in combining my love for storytelling with my love for food and agriculture and how those things come together. Well, it's interesting like how, you know, what you're doing now versus your life story. It's like you've, it, you've in essence found a way and, you know, to follow your passion, but it took a while in the sense that you, A, had this background, you know, from your life, then you went into the agency world where you were working with some clients, but, you know, probably the majority of the clients weren't that specific niche at the beginning. No, yeah. And you had to build up that experience and kind of pay your dues in a way in order to be able to do what you're doing now. Because if we maybe went back five or 10 years, like, do you think that you would be able to do this now? It, it, you know, or and if you could, like, how much harder would that be? Yeah, totally. I, I went 
to university for a business degree because someone told me that business is the study of getting things done. And I was like, oh, I love getting things done. <laughs> but that's, that's pretty broad. It's right. like, also leaves the can, like a, a blank canvas in terms of what I wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. And uh, very quickly when I learned about advertising communications and ad agencies, I was like, what? There's like, you can work as an artist, as a creative and get paid right. in, in, and, and use art as an applied art right. uh, to, to solve problems for people. Um, but I got really excited. So my, as soon as I kind of hit university, my dream was to work at ad agencies. And I started as a suit, as a, as a strategist <laughs> on like, yeah, with a business degree and really loved it. I love research. I love kind of tackling problems. And so started there and I uh, had a creative director. I was at an agency in Edmonton at the time. And as I was getting ready to move to BC, he said, he pulled me aside and said, Stefan, I think you'd be happier on the creative side. <laughs> and that really surprised me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. People that work in ad agencies, some agencies are more strict than others, but there's very clear boundaries in terms of the, the different teams and the creative teams, which was the, the suits or the marketing account teams. Mm-hmm. And so for him to say, hey, I, I recognize that you have a creative bent and, and that there's options there. That's what got me into film, and I mean, I'd always done film as a hobby as a right. kid, and that was another big passion of mine. Um, but for someone to say, "No, I think you can do this professionally," yeah, um, and then I was able to make the switch uh, here in BC. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about the story as well is that you know, being that you studied business, you were in um, an agency on the business side as well, and you love research. That's actually very unique, and that's why you know when you said, "Hey, I'm opening." this company called Picnic and this is what we're going to do. We're going to do video and all these things. The first thing that came into my head was the unique value that you bring is that you do those things at a very high level, but you also bring the research side mm-hmm. in where you're, you're doing something that's awesome looking and cool and will get traction in the marketplace. But at the same time, it's not, it's not, it's not random. It's not random. It's like, it's well thought out. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of campaigns out there and a lot of content out there that's cool for the sake of being cool, mm-hmm. but it doesn't drive results. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that you bring that research and business side, you know, really gives, you know, a, at least myself confidence that on the long run, you're going to do fantastic because that, that is something that having worked with many creative agencies, being part of one myself a couple of times, you know, that's, that's a rare thing. Mm-hmm. It's not very common at all. Yeah, one of our values at Picnic is efficacy, right. uh, which is not a word that is used a lot. <laughs> but basically, yeah, uh, and I think when you're an artist working in an applied setting like business, there's this tension of, I want to make beautiful things and creative things, mm-hmm. um, but I think you need to accept and realize that, that the art you're making it serves a purpose, mm-hmm. um, that our work isn't in an art gallery for a reason. It's, it's serving to solve a problem and yeah. it has to, the work has to therefore deliver a result, it has to have an effect, it has to have an impact. And I think definitely having a business degree and, and working as a strategist and consultant at an ad agency helps frame the work that we do. We love telling stories and making videos and, and taking beautiful pictures, but those all have to serve a purpose. Right. And if they're not delivering results for a business, um, they're not doing their job. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is such an interesting path that you've taken. Like, I, I don't think I know anyone who has, like, the, the same path as, as you. I mean, it's it's you. You're someone that really like 
follows your passions and you follow those all the way through your career. And every few years, you know, you have these big shifts, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I was over here before and now I'm way over here, but it's, but it's working, right? Yeah. And like, and now you found a way to take all of those different paths and combine them into something that's unique, right? And, and it's interesting because, you know, you wouldn't just find anybody doing this. Right, because having having all of the background that you do is is completely unique to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you know, in, in your experience then and so far, what would you say are the top one or two things that are the most important in order to you know start a company? Mm. Patience. <laughs> <laughs> Which combines with a really good financial plan prior to opening the yeah, business. Totally. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and knowing how to, how to be lean and, and uh, smart. Uh, but I also think um, relationships, I think that's an ongoing theme in my life, but mm -hmm. I couldn't be doing what I am without the people that I get to work with, right. whether that's my business partner or whether that's past employers yeah. um, or people like you that I've worked with and got to know, mm -hmm. um, but those relationships um, are really what is a letting us launch Picnic. Mm -hmm. um, we have a whole team of, of friends and collaborators that are lending uh, their pieces of their portfolio or their time right. or their space. Um, so I think those relation, recognizing the value that relationships have yeah. is key. I think that, you know, the, the whole relationship thing, once you're a manager or once you are an entrepreneur, you really understand the value of those. But I think that, you know, sometimes from the outside, people don't necessarily always understand what that means, like in terms of like a good working relationship versus like an interpersonal relationship, mm -hmm. because they're very different things. Um, you know, what would you say is the most important thing in those business relationships, right? Because trust is obviously a big factor, but, mm -hmm. you know, what in your mind is the difference between an interpersonal relationship and, and like a business one? I think setting clear expectations. Once you get business and once you get money involved, people, it, it gets complicated. So yeah. I think mm -hmm. everyone being very clear of these are the expectations. This is what I'm. This is what I'm giving. This is what I expect to receive. Um, just pr it protects the relationship. So sometimes mm -hmm. it's awkward to talk about things like that, but yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's critical to to be able to work together. Well, it's interesting that you touched on expectations because you know, that's like a common theme of not just the relationship side, but business in general, not enough expectations are set. Mm -hmm. And it is awkward at the beginning, but it makes everyone's life so much easier because when you know what people expect from you, it actually liberates you mm -hmm. rather than handcuffs you. People think it's like, oh, I, I don't want to make a promise. I don't want to say that I'm going to do something yeah. because then I'm bound to doing it. But, you know, try somebody giving you money or putting their faith in you and then having no measuring stick. That's a lot more stressful than knowing what you're getting measured against. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So. So, Stefan, what is your definition of success? Because it is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think where your starting point in life determines that. Yeah. <laughs> Influences that question for me when I think about like what. I, I like thinking abstract thoughts about what is life, what is reality, or for me, the, Those are good. the fabric of reality is relationship, and mm -hmm. like when everything else disappears, there's nothing more real than, than the relationships we have, right. so I think when I reflect even on my career, some of the most meaningful work I've had 
Um, again, when I think about the farmers and the, the food processors that I've got to work with, spending time on the farm, getting to know these people's families, video video is really vulnerable mm -hmm. and I've had lots of opportunities to work with owners of companies and to like spend a day with their family and mm -hmm. see how they cook, see how they interact with their kids. Yeah. Um, those are very vulnerable settings and for me that's what makes video work so meaningful because you, you have the chance in a very non, outside of the office, outside of the right. boardroom to get to know people on a real level and then to tell their story and yeah I think having the opportunity to tell people's stories and doing them their story justice and honoring them through that process right. um, gives me a lot of joy and a lot of mm -hmm. well, and fulfillment. It's interesting because it's you know what is success we always usually come back to happiness and so those are the things that make you happy when you're able to right. tell people's story when you're able to you know make those connections with people it inherently makes you happy mm -hmm. and that's what success is for you mm -hmm. right yeah so that's you know we always preach that it's that you know try to figure out what makes you happy mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. try to reverse engineer how to you can how to make it so that you can do that and only that yeah for as long as you possibly can yeah so in that process then, you know, relationships aside, what have been the moments where the, those decision points came because you've done a couple large shifts. Mm -hmm. What are those things that, what were those decisions and why were those decisions successful in your opinion? Mm -hmm. I, um, there's a, the principle like any closed system dies yeah. and um, so, like whether at a, a bi biological level, right. um, so so what are you saying? Yourself in situations where you will be forced to kind of open yourself up, and right. whether that so for me sometimes that was um, just going for coffee with a new person. Like literally, I, I moved to BC because I emailed someone out of the blue and was like, "Hey, can we do coffee? Because your story looks really interesting." Right. And few months later I had a new job out of that and that was not even my intention I wasn't right. looking for work um, where I've, I try to take courses every year so yeah. whether that's conferences or going to summer school or that type of thing to just introduce there's that quadrant of you don't know what you don't know right you're never gonna find out what you don't know unless you just put yourself in completely new situations yeah. so yeah in my career mm -hmm. I've, I've definitely moved around a lot yeah and but each of those moves were a combination of kind of my passions and then what brings me joy uh, with kind of the putting myself into new situations and and recognizing that that is is critical even though it's scary mm -hmm. well it's really it's venturing into the unknown mm -hmm. on purpose yeah on you know a consistent basis or every couple of years when you kind of say to yourself back to the closed system it's like, I'm only sticking to what I know. I'm sticking into my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I need to remove myself from my comfort zone and, and journey into something that I don't know mm -hmm. and try that out and then try many different things in order to figure out what I need for myself mm -hmm. in terms of what drives success for me and happiness, mm -hmm. really. And that's, th that is, a re I think, a pretty rare thing for most people 
to do of their own volition without some sort of external factor really pushing them out the door to do it. Mm. Because the comfort zone is called that for a reason because it's it's comfortable, so why would you want to leave it? Yeah. But that's the only way to actually push yourself forward. So, you know, when we get people asking, it's like, well, what else can I do? I don't know what to do. It's like, try new things. Just don't bet the farm on it, mm-hmm. but try new things and see what works for you. And then before you start committing to things, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that like <clears throat> in your case, Stefan, like not only are you someone that you think very deeply about things, but you also have this very intuitive side, mm. you know, um, it, and intuition is a tough thing. A lot of people don't know what to do with it or, or, or how to use it. And I think you've really leveraged it to your advantage because you kind of understand when you need to make a shift. Like when, when is it time to, to do something new? When, when have you become too comfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, going back to one of your other questions in terms of like things that have helped, I think and it's a bit of a buzzword, so, but emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And, but what, what's emotional yeah. intelligence to you? For me, well, maybe I won't try to define it because there's people that probably do that better, but practical ways, um, speaking again of behaviors or things I've done, um, but like going, I think everyone should go to counseling. I, right. like counseling is not, everyone, there's a stigma around that and mm-hmm. mental health and things that that's only for people that are broken or messed up. And it's right. like, well, that's all of us. So, um, <laughs> but those things. We're all a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. And self, self-reflection and again, so letting other people give you feedback, whether that's through a formal personality assessment mm-hmm. yeah. or a workshop or reading. Um, but it's difficult because what the areas of emotional intelligence that each one of us have to work at are so different for every yeah. person. So, um, but just being learning to identify your gaps, yeah. um, so that you can either mitigate or work on them, and also understanding your strengths. Yeah. yeah. On on that note, like one of the weaknesses that I have that I know that I have is uh, I understand people's mental states infinitely well. Mm. Like. I know if somebody's going through something, I'm like, this is where they're at. I know that this is their state of mind right now. And so I always make the mistake of being able to think that I can judge what somebody's going to do because I'm a very good judge of the mental state. But my weakness is, is that, um, I think that the mental state is the end all be all of what the future action is going to be when their emotions distort the mental state. Mm-hmm. So you have a state of mind and then you have the emotion that goes with that state of mind. And when the state of mind crashes into the emotion, instead of it being predictable, like, oh, it's going to go in a straight line, the emotion can refract and bend the action of the person. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, when I look at that, and even for myself or in business, the thing that I really come out with is, you know, there's no way to... you can estimate somebody's frame of mind but you can't estimate their emotion unless you form some form of relationship with them and ultimately if you really want to help someone you know get their state of mind better you have to go through the emotional filter in order to do that and you have to understand that emotional filter and actually to actually help that person yeah i think that's a really helpful thing to understand as a marketer specifically (laughs) um because human beings aren't rational and our purchasing decisions aren't yeah there's this whole subconscious yeah it makes sense uh, to us yeah but the <laughs> like the unconscious decisions that we make and the yeah the emotional really decisions everything starts 
with the emotions. Yeah. Um, and so I think a good piece of advertising or a good piece of marketing usually is always connected to a deep human truth in terms of how we operate or our behavior or, or what's really important in life. Yeah. And it's, it's nearly, it's funny that when you start watching commercials that way because sometimes it's so blatant it's painful because <laughs> they're yeah trying yeah. to sell you happiness or yeah. or something um but i think that's also uh, working in advertising a lot of people complain about oh i'm being manipulated mm -hmm. and um i think if, if there aren't any secret tools that marketers have in terms of the regulation right. field yeah, I think the, we all have a responsibility to be self-aware and understand our own emotions. Yeah. Um, and that'll help us discern whether um, the material good can actually deliver what it's promising. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyways, well, I know, I know that in the past, you know, having worked together, uh, we've turned down work for companies that had a misleading product or a product that we didn't believe in was in, say, like the greater good of society or what have you and you know we really believe in that because things have to do what they you say that they're going to do mm -hmm. but it's also like is this something that's going to make somebody's life better or not mm -hmm. and that's very important mm -hmm. right and in what context right because if we lose that we you know we at some point have to like check our own ethics and say you know am i doing this for the money or not and that short-term chase for the dollar is always the wrong thing to do Mm -hmm. Right? Like you have to play the long game. You have to say, you know, am I going to look back 10 years from now and wish that I hadn't done this? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, my ethics would have been intact and then make decisions on that basis, even though it might hurt, you know, the checkbook today. Mm -hmm. Back to patience, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think marketers need to be careful that you know, marketing is a value exchange, right? And we need to be careful that the value we're promising is actually the value that's being delivered. Mm -hmm. And those, that, those values, the value can be an intangible benefit, like feeling better or feeling more confident mm -hmm. or feeling more sexy. Those are all things that a brand can do because branding does a lot more than sell a product or a service. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that can be legitimate, but I think consumers today see through, uh, yeah. see through a proposition that isn't genuine. That's, yeah. that's ridiculous or, or yeah. Yeah, I think the consumer, as time goes on, is only going to get smarter. And so marketers are always going to try to stay ahead. But I don't think that they really can because at some point you exhaust tapping into what the human psyche is. Like you can, you can adjust for culture, mm -hmm. but that's about it, mm -hmm. right? Because human beings, like we're, we, we change in the sense that our environment changes, but like who we are as people generally doesn't change all that much and what, and what ends up truly mattering to an individual or a series of individuals is more or less the same, you know, now from 10 years from now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's a real privilege when you work with brands like Silver Hills Bakery where I've yeah, spent time with the owners and in their homes and you, you see that their personal values really line up with their corporate values. Yeah. And you see how that has really shaped their product offering. Their, yeah. their product is superior, um, but it, their, their original vision wasn't to make the best product. It was actually right. to, to help improve people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so it's a real privilege. That's why I love, I don't know, I find food and agriculture is very genuine because you have a lot of people who really care about helping 
one another and and mm -hmm. food is is sustenance but it's also expression right and there's so much that can that can yeah. be done there you know when you're talking about um you know wanting to do good right um and having good corporate values uh there's so many of these companies out there um or you know individuals even with with a product or with something that they're doing and they have no understanding of or very little perhaps of business or of marketing and not knowing how to get that to market, right? And that's actually, I think one of the most gratifying things with marketing is being able to uh, you know, build relationships with those people and help them actually bring to market the thing that, that they do that's such high quality or is so great and unique, but they don't know how to get it to people, right? Yeah. And so like that, for me, that's definitely like a really gratifying uh, part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think that speaking, even Instagram obviously is a big platform yeah. for video photography. But I was just reading this morning, and it resonates with me about how the the very filtered existence on mm. Instagram is becoming less and less mm. popular among um, millennials and, and the next generation. Yeah. yeah. Where this this constantly curated. Um, it's the highlight reel yeah. of a person's life. Yeah. 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 But even brand, yeah, even brands and people. Um, that that people are getting tired because they everyone's starting to realize this isn't real. This is makes me feel yeah. nice for a limited time, but or insecure by or looking insecure. at all those things. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so I think that yeah, there's a, a real hunger for for something genuine. Well, I think that the authenticity factor in a lot of these things is missing at this time. But as people demand it, that's the way to win. Mm -hmm. Right, so if you want to have that large following um, for whatever reason, if people are demanding authenticity and you're not giving it to them, well, you're not going to get garner that following and that influence anymore. But it's really the market that decides at mm -hmm. the end of the day. But I think that you know there's a lot of programs and a lot of you know news and media that are bringing attention to you know, the fact that it's like, look, these things are making people feel bad. There's psychological studies. You know, people are more depressed when they look at the highlight reel of other people's lives because they're like, my life isn't like that. But not understanding that the person that they're looking at, their life isn't like that either. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, they're, they're like fronting. So it's like, you know, they go to Holton Renfrew or they buy, you know, like one pair of like Gucci shoes. It's like, yeah, but they only did that once in three years. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not like they're there every other week. I mean, some people are, but not probably that person most likely, mm -hmm. you know, based on like the average. So you know, really trying to take a step back and analyze that though is almost impossible because when you're scrolling through, you know, 50 pictures in a one minute session, or how long are you going to really stop to think at the person that just went on a shopping spree and you're looking at their photo and being like, oh man, like I wish I could do that and then just keep going, mm -hmm. right? It's like no one's actually stopping to think about, well, that person's doing that once a year or once every three years or whatever it is, mm -hmm. right? And so, but our brain doesn't, unless we stop and really anchor ourselves into thinking about these things, mm -hmm. like it's never gonna, you know, we're never gonna actually like see that. And in addition to that, it's like, who has the time to like rationalize every single photo that they see on Instagram? Yeah. It's not It's not feasible. Right, yeah. What I think, you're seeing the trend in micro-influencers partly because they are more authentic. They're not, yeah. they don't have the millions of followers, but they're living, they're, yeah, they're more relatable. They mm -hmm. are, they're highly targeted. They're speaking to a group of people that can identify with them. And, yeah. and also influencers are creating more content 
um, for brands because that content also feels more authentic than I mean I've, I've done the agency content and it's beautiful yeah but you can tell it's been produced yeah in a studio or it's been produced um, kind of removed from daily life yeah and uh, so I think you, you definitely see that in the trends of what type of content is being created and and uh, what, yeah what people are gravitating towards yeah absolutely yeah I think like <clears throat> You know, it for me, I I still like, you know, I, I go to the movies and I see some of these ads that are produced, and you know, I know for a lot of people it's like, oh man, I got to sit through 10, 15 minutes of ads. I actually like it for me <laughs> as a marketer. Yeah, I'm like, I love seeing like a really well thought out, really well produced, you know, ad that that like pulls at the heartstrings, and you're just like, that was incredible, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like. I, I still appreciate that and I appreciate all the stuff that, that you know that's more authentic and the uh, you know the the less perfect right mm -hmm. um, and it, ha it just has its place yeah. Right? yeah my wife watches Jeopardy when she can and um, we always joke because I'll sit there with her but I watch the commercials and she watches Jeopardy <laughs> <laughs> and we can't have a conversation because when, when she's on break to have a conversation I'm like glued to the commercials yeah <laughs> and um, we're having a baby in September, and there was a Kia commercial where the uh, the male partner is more nervous than um, he's driving uh, his partner to the hospital. Right, she's about to give birth, but yeah. he's yeah. more nervous than she is. And yeah. it was funny because again, I was like, oh, suddenly it's relatable because I'm going right. through a similar oh, thing yeah. in life. <laughs> Clearly, that's targeted at someone like me. Yeah, yeah. and um, and it was speaking to real emotions that that we have and, and then yeah. you have a connection and, point. And that's well thought out. Like that somebody thought about yeah. that moment and how important that is mm -hmm. to that specific person, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember for myself, like you would not have seen a slower driver on the way back from the hospital, right? <laughs> I, was, I must have been going 30 the whole way because I was like so scared with the baby in the back, you know? Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Now it's just like whatever. But you know, <laughs> yeah. that first drive is like, oh, it's so scary. <laughs> Sleep deprivation doesn't help either. No, it definitely does not. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, an important thing to touch on, I think, when I think social media and marketing is, you know, what the reality is behind these things. And, you know, what's the responsibility of us to communicate the messages in terms of, you know, if people are trying to achieve certain lifestyles and things like that, it's like people can, you know, bankrupt themselves trying to achieve mm. the things that they see on social media with influencers and other things like that and like going beyond their means where their lives actually become worse so you know when it comes to the topic of marketing and this is why you know I always bring up the responsibility item is as a marketer it's impossible to do a good job for a client if you don't believe in their product mm -hmm. that it's gonna make people's lives better because otherwise you're just gonna mechanically go through the motions and do the best you can but without that passion and like, like passion ignites the creative spark mm -hmm. without that. It's like that magic is never going to get, you know, bottled mm -hmm. so that you can share it with everybody else. Totally. Yeah. And often the people behind when I'm doing a branding exercise, it, it's so important for me and my process to understand, to get to know the people yeah. behind it. Cause usually that's where you find the spark. Yeah. Where you find the story, where you find, because every, every product or service, uh, the person that created it was re responding to a real need that yeah. they either felt or saw, experienced mm -hmm. firsthand. Yeah. Um, but over time, you can lose 
kind of where where was that? What was it that got things started in the first place? Yeah. So I love the origin story of a, of a company or organization is usually a helpful place to find that yeah. seed of inspiration. Well, I'm just talking to people inside of the company, right? So yesterday it was interesting. I, I, I went to do a presentation of a proposal and uh, the guy looked at the price and said, well, how can I cut this down? And I'm like, well, it's a digital marketing audit. We need to do interviews internally, this, that, whatever. And he, he looked at me and said, well, why can't it be half the price just to eliminate the interviews? I just want you to do the data analysis and the measurement to see, you know, if my marketing is A, working, but B, like how to make it work from, you know, an ROI perspective. And, you know, it was with the general manager and, and, the, and the controller. And I said to him, I'm like, look, like if I don't understand your culture and why things happen, like I need to go talk to the, your frontline salespeople. I need to talk to the people in the field. I need to talk to people in the office to understand your culture. Like I can read your values. I mean, they're on the wall. I can literally, I read them while I was sitting, you know, having a coffee, but until I talk to your people and really deconstruct and get to the heart of what your culture and your values actually mean in practice, mm -hmm. it's impossible for me to then just look at the data and say like, this is the answer because the, the data is contextual to like the human attributes of like the culture and the people that work in it. Mm. Because if I give you an answer based on the data that's, you know, over here, but based on the culture and the type of people that exist in a business, it's like, well, that answer could be not possible because it won't mesh well with what they think. Or, you know, there's a very much like a slant to like these other things over here that are of great value. Well, you're better off taking if, you know, this thing over here is the best idea. Mm -hmm. You're better off with the, like the second or third best idea over here if it resonates internally, culturally for the people because people will believe in it more and even though it's not the best solution it will become the best solution for that company and you know and really trying to explain that to somebody like no like the best answer isn't always the answer the best answer is the one that fits best with who you actually are as a business and a culture mm -hmm. is uh it's not something that's very intuitive for people yeah creative buy-in and ownership is so critical there's been i think it's tempting for agencies to to fall in love with their ideas and so it's like oh yep. this is a great idea yeah but if if the 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 client or the team you're working with if they don't live and breathe it as well then there's a, a very short life shelf life to that right. to that idea because mm -hmm. it, it won't live beyond i think again speaking to things that i see as a success is when something becomes someone else's and you see yeah. you see a campaign or an idea live for years after you've had any influence yeah. where you're no yeah. longer working in the organization but but that continues and then you saw how excited people got about it and it became their own and, and, that's, and then it changes a bit a little yeah, bit over time, time and then yeah. it takes it on a life of its own after a while right yeah which is uh you know it's kind of like the legacy of the idea at that point yeah you know and that's always awesome to see Stefan, right now you're in startup mode. Mm -hmm. So what are the challenges? Because, I mean, you've been in agencies that are, you know, once they're up and running, uh, you know, in high growth agencies as well that went, you know, across Canada. Um, what are you seeing as the biggest challenges of starting your own business? Mm -hmm. yeah, give me a moment. I need to think. <laughs> I feel like I'm so at the beginning of it. I'm like... But even taking the steps yeah. to get to where you are, there's, you know, there's tough emotional things to grapple with as well. 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the, you have to kind of confront your own insecurities of like, I have this idea, but is it actually going to work? And mm -hmm. how long do you work at something? Um, before, Fear of failure. Yeah, absolutely. Before, before you, before it's validated as a viable business plan, a viable business option. Yeah. Um, so I think iterating, like the approach we've taken is um, to have hardly any overhead or startup yeah. costs so that we're able to kind of iterate to try a lot of things, um, work mm -hmm. with a lot of people to see what works and how we can add value. Yeah. Um, and then there's, again, the serendipitous relationships. We're in a, uh, a film studio space that's yeah. part of a meal kit company. So it's actually a, it's a, a freezer that's been <laughs> Giant refurbished. Freezer. <laughs> and right beside we have, yeah, food prep going on. Um, so being that that came was totally unexpected. I didn't think we could find mm -hmm. when you're looking for kitchen space, film studio <laughs> space, and office space at a oh, reasonable wow. price yeah. in a central location. I, <laughs> I had kind of given up that it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I met a friend, and he's like, "Oh, I've got exactly that." <laughs> so um, being, I get, I'm a. I I'm a slow and steady kind of guy, so yeah. it's like I have I know where I want to get, but it kind of just have to start, and you just need to go. And like three months ago, I didn't think, it, yeah, we would find a space. I didn't right. think that a space like this even existed. But if you don't just start, and you're never gonna yeah. find those opportunities. Yeah. What would you say your biggest challenge is right now? Well, you're just. I guess when you don't have a team that's dedicated, mm -hmm. like uh, just the capacity. Yeah. So yeah. like small stuff like getting your portfolio and your reel done right. when you have limited people that, uh, we don't have anyone on salary, we're a team of contractors right, right now. Mm -hmm. And so everyone who's helping is, is pitching out. So is pitching in, sorry. Um, so timelines time become lines. an issue because there's other client matters to take care of totally you know the client yeah. work generally ends up coming first yeah and you can like if you have unlimited capital then obviously <laughs> you can do things but if you're yeah. trying to do things cost effectively then yeah it's there's, there's trade-offs to make there well and that's it's important because of the cash management side of the business is the make or break mm -hmm. there's great ideas that don't survive long enough to make it because of the cash management side mm -hmm. so that can never be understated so running lean is always the way to go yeah you know because the one thing that i've always known is that things always take longer than you think they are mm -hmm. so you say hey by six months we're going to be here you know and by 12 months we're going to be here it's like well you know six months is probably nine to 12 months and if not even maybe 14 months mm -hmm. and one year is really like 18 months to two years right yeah right because you know once like at a high level once you're like oh we're going to do this much in sales and have this many employees and these things you until you get into it it doesn't befall you how long things take to get up and running um you know it's a lot easier to get from one to two than it is from zero to one going from zero to one is 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 a fight but then duplicating that going from one to two is you know 10 times easier than zero to one right yeah. so that's like the whole startup thing in my mind and I think understanding your own style and strengths and like I'm a I'm not someone that likes doing things alone just mm -hmm. in, in life generally yeah mm -hmm. and so I chose to go into business with a business partner yeah. and someone who has like, different skill sets mm -hmm. and definitely the yeah I, I couldn't I wouldn't want to be starting a business without the people that I'm doing it with mm -hmm. right um, 
A, because I, I again, back to relationship, that yeah. energizes me in terms totally. of, I'm an introvert, I don't actually like love spending a ton of time, but when I do spend right. time with people, I like spend quality time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, being able to work in a team environment for me has, on those days where you're like, ah, is this even, <laughs> should I even be trying to do this? Yeah. Um, to know that I'm not alone. Yeah. And even, uh, we're really lucky in the lower mainland um, there's an agency owners group, so I went to right. those lunches and just yeah. being in a room with 30 <laughs> other people that are at various stages of launching their own agencies and veterans who've been doing it for 20, 30 years yeah. and, and people that are a week old yeah. um, in terms of their business uh, is really encouraging. So I think for me, I've, I've needed that emotional support. Yeah. I'm also a very uh, intuitive, emotional person, so I know that I need those types of support networks right. in my life. Versus other people who are the total opposite. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that entrepreneurs, and I think this is actually like a large problem. Like there isn't enough support. People, I, I don't think unless you've done it yourself, people really understand just how much pressure it is mm. to start your own business because your friends and family know about it. There's pressure to perform. It's very difficult to not care, mm-hmm. and and because people will say it's easy, you know, just don't care about your failure and don't care what other people think about you. It's like, well, that requires a ton of emotional and like personal emotional intelligence for yourself Mm -hmm. to like rationalize that. Um, And some people, frankly, I don't think can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You can minimize it, but is it zero? Maybe not, especially when, you know, it's like your wife or your parents Mm -hmm. or like, you know, um, but I think it's important to try to reduce it as much as possible. Point A, but point B, like having that support, like within the entrepreneurship community, where somebody else has experienced that, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. And I mean, we've seen, you know, in the news, it's like, you know, like startup entrepreneurs that, you know, like go into deep depressions and things like this. Um, and it's probably a lot more common than even the media really like lets on, mm-hmm. uh, because it is, it's a tough thing to get mm-hmm. off the ground. And you know, uh, I tell anybody that's thinking about starting a business, it's like, how much do you care about what people think of you? Mm-hmm. Like be honest, and if you're not going to be honest with me, be honest with yourself, mm-hmm. because like that point alone can just crush you. Yeah. To 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 start off, B, do you have enough money for the next three to six months? Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Cut those expenses in half. Now you have money for twice as long because mm-hmm. you're going to need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know what's your backup plan? Like you know, write it down once. Take like an hour to write it down. Never look at it again. Mm-hmm. Never even consider it again. Yeah. But you need it. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, you know, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Like some people are really good first employees, second employees, even like, you know, executives, mm-hmm. but n- not everybody's cut out to actually start a business from scratch. Mm-hmm. And also the odds are really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so being, yeah. Being on the same page with your partner or your, yeah. the people in your life. I'm, I'm fortunate my wife's family is a business family and she's, I think, has a better sense of what we're getting, setting ourselves up for than I even do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but you, if you don't, if you, yeah, I think it's important yeah. to have that support. Absolutely. What I didn't appreciate um, enough was like when I quit my job and then I had um, two months before my baby was being born. Mm. Um, what I didn't appreciate enough was that time mm-hmm. before before everything else, right? right. Because um, that was a very productive time for me. 
And then and then once life happens, like it's like there's certain things you got to be there for, yeah. you know, and uh, and things can be very distracting, right? Yeah. Um, so you have to work through those things, right? Yeah. You have to find ways around that, but uh, it's like the time that you have leading up to that, it's like make good use of yeah. it. Don't squander well, that time. It's, it's, it's so interesting yeah. because I mean, you know, I don't have the energy that I did when I was in my 20s. Mm. There's no way. Yeah. And anybody that says different is, you know, lying. Like you can be mentally energized, yeah. but physically it's like, you know, try doing, you know, three, four, 16 to 17 hour work days in a row. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're in your 20s, totally doable. In your 30s, it's like, uh, you know, like your mind might be there, but your body might not want to really follow suit on that. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is responsibility. As you ratchet up your responsibility in terms of like family, kids, etc., mm -hmm. you need to plan if you want to be an entrepreneur like or be in a startup, you need to plan much more carefully. Mm -hmm. Right? When you're like in your 20s, you live by yourself, you can, you know, you can bet the farm because if you go, if you lose everything, yeah. it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like you're going to get back on your feet. You're going to find another job. There's, there's very low risk. What's the worst that can happen? You get into like, you know, five, 10 grand worth of credit card debt mm -hmm. because that's all they're willing to lend you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like go find a job and pay it off in six months. Mm -hmm. Try again. But when you have a family and you have responsibilities and mortgage and all these things, it's like, you can't do those things. Yeah. So it's like youth and you know, it's like people take it for granted. They're like, I'll always be able to do this. It's like, no, that's not real. Yeah. Unless, you know, other parts of your life are going to suffer greatly. Yeah. And it, it's also having like putting in perspective, like what your goals are, right? Yeah. Because uh, for a lot of people, like their goal is to have a very, you know, somewhat stable, like lifestyle business, right? Where it's the goal is I want to, I want to be able to do like whatever my passion is. I want to do that for like forever. And you know, and I'm gonna make the money I make, and and you know, we'll watch the finances and all that. That's fine, but you know, it's not it's not about like having like a high growth business mm -hmm. necessarily, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's that's okay. But as long as you have that in in mind at the beginning, mm -hmm. and you know what you want, because um, if you're trying to get that like high growth, you know, and and ha do the passion side, the lifestyle business, it's like. It's tough to, to, to do both unless you have a unicorn of an idea, mm -hmm. you know, that you can execute on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Stefan, for uh, having us at your, your lovely startup and your space. This looks fantastic. Um, you know, winning the lottery in, ter in terms of being able to find a space that met your trifecta of criteria. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we know that you're going to be successful because, you know, you have amazing experience behind you. And you know your heart's just so big, and you want what's best for your clients and the people that you work with. So there's no doubt in my mind that this will go really well. Awesome. Well, thank you. Really appreciate the time. Great to see you guys again and to host you here. And mm -hmm. wish you all the success, all the best as well. Thank you. Cool.